Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Sonderwave podcast. I am currently recording this intro in Florida directly into my computer with my AirPods. So if it sounds like I'm recording it with a potato, that is why. Um, this next episode is absolutely amazing. And it's with one of my friends named Rachel, and she has such an amazing perspective on just living the version of your life that you want to be living. And it's such a raw and transparent look at someone who realized that her identity no longer fit into the norms of her marriage, her faith, and her sexuality. It's, I know everyone's going to love it. I know it's going to inspire a lot of people to make some changes in their life. And yeah, I just cannot wait for you guys to hear it. Guess what? I have an email address now for the podcast. It's sonderwavepodcast at gmail.com. That's S-O-N-D-E-R-W-A-V-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. That's a lot of letters, but that's where we're at. One recurring theme in my life this past week has been all around just self-love and how we really can't love others or accept love from others until we love ourselves. And I've seen this reflected in my life, in my work, in God, uh, and especially with God. And we actually touch on this in this episode, me and Rachel, on how unlikely it is that we, meaning you, me, and everyone else, that we were actually born into this earth. It's a one in a million chance that we turned out the way that we are. And how special is that? It's like we won the lottery, that we have the chance to live this life. And because we did win that lottery and exist in this world, we have this inherent worth and deserve to live a life that feels comfortable and that feels right to us. So if you are in a relationship that doesn't feel right, change it. If you are in a faith that doesn't feel right to you or doesn't make sense to you anymore, look elsewhere. If you are in a job that doesn't make you happy, find a new job. This life is our prize and it's not worth wasting it being unhappy. And that doesn't mean you have to change everything immediately or get divorced or quit your job. But it does mean that we need to start making small changes. That's just been something that I've been dealing with in my life and that I have to continually remind myself on a day-to-day basis that if I'm not happy, if something doesn't feel right to me, that I have the autonomy, I have the independence, and I have the power to make those changes. And I should make those changes because this life is mine and no one else's and no one else can change it for me. I'm the one who has to take that first step forward in order to make a better life for myself. And that is just what I want to encourage you all with in this next week as we move forward. And that's about it. Let's do a few deep breaths, and then let's get into it. Not today. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Ooh, ooh. Not today. Did you watch Game of Thrones? No. 
Oh. Sorry, was that a Game of Thrones It was a Game of Thrones reference. I missed it. What was the trigger? Death. I was like, ooh. Interesting. The death word was a trigger. like death? I, it's so funny, like, in now in the recent years where I don't have the, like, script of what I think happens when we die, I, like, freeze. Like, I I don't know. I don't know that I have an answer. What feels right to you? I don't want to say good because I feel like anything. Right, right, right. You mean, like, accurate? Like, what feels accurate I don't know, like, what, like, when you think what feels like truth to me when it comes Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. what happens after we die, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what feels right to you? Do you think we go somewhere else? Do you think it's a lights out type of situation? I think I lean towards this is this is it. This mm-hmm. is the shot we get. But what I would rather believe is like a reincarnation thing. Like, a, is that the right word? Like, yeah. A, yeah, you come back as a different thing or person or whatever. Like, I would love to believe that it's like a continuous experience in various forms. Yes. But I, I don't know that I think that's true. I know. With death for me, it's like I have a very logical scientific view yeah like when i think oh i'm in a physical body yeah of course when we die it's just gonna be lights out yeah, yeah, yeah but then yeah. there is that like spiritual part of me that's like i know something does there's something mysterious about this world and something that really i, I just don't understand yeah and like that to me is so fun yeah yeah and so it wouldn't surprise me if there was something else yeah and a part of me is almost like if that's what makes me feel better right, to believe right, that and right. to believe that there is something after. Right, right. So, like, why not just believe it? Because we don't know what happens. Right, right. So you might as well just believe in the thing that makes you feel good. Totally. So I don't know. And I, think and I can get on board like with the either. Stemming away from like the decades of thinking, like you're either right or you're wrong. Or heaven and or this, hell. Right. And so it's this like fire insurance of like I remember so many times like in middle school maybe you had the same experience but just praying like okay Jesus if you're not in my heart already will you please go in my heart of because course. I don't want to go to hell. Uh, yeah. And it was such a fear um, based, based culture at, at least in the 90s like I remember going to like conferences and stuff for church like um, oh yeah like um, summer conferences. Yes. Yes where it was like the in the doing the altar call at like Saturday night yeah. or whatever. There's one that I'm like we used to go to every challenge. Year. Does no. that ring a bell to you? No. Anyone out there that went to the <laughs> challenge, challenge conferences? Conference. We went to Salt Lake City twice. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say it was called like Dare. I'll remember it. I'll remember it. But it was traumatic. So yeah, death. I think is still. I like don't think I've spent enough time in sort of my this season of my life thinking about what I actually think now. I just know what I don't think, which is sort of where I land with religion anyway. I know what I no longer think, but I don't know that I've landed where I do think, if that makes sense. It, it does. Do you think you're keeping yourself from thinking about it? Totally. Yeah. hundred percent. I think there's this, uh, I think there's like a betrayal factor of like mm-hmm. when you start to question the things that you've believed in, that the people that like your family and the people that you've always been close to believe there's this weird, like guilty feeling mm-hmm. of like, oh, I'm like betraying someone or something that I've been loyal to for so That's long. That's fascinating. I thought you were saying betrayal in a sense of you feel betrayed that you were taught something growing up that and too. then you realized it wasn't true. That too. And it's like, how could I be? Why did you lie to me yes. all this time? Yes, that too. Both. Both ends of it. Both and and. But I think, yeah, both and and. But I think what keeps me from spending time thinking about it is like that impulsive feeling like oh gosh it feels it's still tender maybe like it feels like only within the last year have I really even begun to articulate what I think about Mm. church and like religion and so death is like I don't know 2020 (laughs) (laughs) like that's like 
tab yeah. 60 down the line. Yeah, 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 yeah. When, uh, when did things switch for you? Actually, first of all, hi, Rachel. Hi, John. Sorry. <laughs> we just dive right in. We're just diving <laughs> right into the good stuff. We waste um, no time with the no, informal talk. <laughs> I wish we could just go right into it. I know. Uh, so with us today is Rachel. Hi. I work with Rachel at the company that I work with. I feel like that's been how I've known most of the people that have been on that's so awesome. far. That's what I love about our company is yeah. there's tons of people our age, yep. tons of really cool, trendy, just people doing really cool things. Yeah. And it's just, it's been such a family to me. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of like creative energy and, and creative meaning like in so many different capacities people are creating. And so yeah. there's all these different, like I learned so much. I feel like most days about like, Oh, I didn't know that was a industry or that was a company or that was a need that people have and they're creating in the world. And mm-hmm. so of course you're drawn to like people who are creating. There's the an energy to our job mm-hmm. and yeah, that's really all it is. There's just an energy. An energy. To it. Yeah. I totally agree. Especially being in LA too. It's like double. Yes. Cause LA is a very creative and a very energetic place. Cause there's people who are really putting themselves out there and putting everything on the line Yes. for things in like entertainment yeah. and business yeah. and it either works or it doesn't. Yep. So people are doing it. People are doing it. Uh, but anyways, I wanted to have you on because we as we've talked over the last I feel like month is I've gotten to talk to you so much more mm-hmm. and we just have so many similarities yeah yeah and I've just I remember when we were walking during pride <laughs> when we walked down that like two miles down to our place before the parade like 100 degree West I just remember we got weather. on the topic of church and how you grew up in the church mm-hmm. and I could have talked about it for probably six to eight hours yeah, yeah. and it's Easily. funny because I think it's one of those things where like it's like once you know you're the same you're you come from a similar background as somebody on that you're like oh we speak a whole other language that's the same that's language. exactly <laughs> it. it's almost like you it's like you're a part of a family yeah and like we're almost cousins in the same yes. family it's, yes. we get the same dynamics yes it's like we get those family dynamics we get the language that mm-hmm. the family uses mm-hmm. uh and we get all the ins and outs of the good the bad mm-hmm. the ugly mm-hmm and it's just there and yeah. not everyone gets it and totally and, and I feel like it's like you don't have to explain to me or I don't have to explain to you so like the idiosyncrasies of yeah. like how that shows up but to somebody that grew up differently I find myself being like no 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 like you don't get it yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> let me try again yeah so it's always fun to meet someone yeah like you fun and like oh sorry sorry yeah. you had to also <laughs> do that it is it, it is kind of it feels nice to yeah, almost yeah. feel validated in that way yes. that someone else had that experience and went through a lot of the same emotional. I mean, for me, I call it grieving. Like mm-hmm. I had to grieve mm-hmm. my time in the church and Christianity so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a feeling that is really hard to explain to someone that didn't grow up in that atmosphere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it's nice when someone's like, I get you. Yeah. They like put your hand on like yeah. your leg or shoulder and they're like, I, I get, get it. it. Don't have to explain. No. Yeah, because I think it's like, I think there's a difference between at least like, because I have friends that like grew up Catholic or grew up Jewish and there's like more of a cultural aspect that can also, of course, include a lot of like trauma and Mm -hmm. its own set of pain points. But I think there's something about evangelical Christianity that was very all encompassing where it was like your whole identity was wrapped up in this religion, this God, this relationship with Jesus, this um, all these norms that go along with being a part of that culture. And so to step away from that or to cleave from that then is like 
a, it's an identity crisis or it can I be. love that you use the word identity because that's exactly what it felt like yeah. to me as well. Well, because they're, con- I mean, they're constantly telling you your identity is in yeah. Jesus or in well, your relationship with Jesus. And, and all so the then when you don't have that, were oh, yeah. saying, you know, I'm so unworthy, but yeah, still you love me. It's like our identity is literally in Christ. I just say that in my head because I know. I know. I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> I could, I, we just, just go right into yeah, yeah. it now. <laughs> like, and with a two-part harmony. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. just. I mean, our whole self-worth and self-esteem was in this. And so it's hard to imagine when that all goes away and you're just like, how do I base who I am now? Yeah. And how I feel about myself when yeah. I don't have this thing. Yeah, totally. And well, and I remember like over the last year, um, I have talked to my therapist about a lot of things, but I think over the last year was when I sort of started to grieve or or mourn the loss of like, capital C church in my life. Yeah. I'm so happy you said <laughs> capital C. Um, but I remember what she shared with me was, and this in no way, I don't want to position myself as having experienced this, but she shared that sometimes that can feel like the loss of a parent mm-hmm. because a lot of, in my particular experience was being sort of shoveled off into like, well, the church will take care of her. Church is where I learned so many things. It's, I mean, go on and on about the, the parts of Rachel that were fostered because of church. But I think what's crazy is like to step away from that is then the loss of like a parent or mm-hmm. like a parental figure. And while it will never compare to actually losing a parent, it's that struck me very tenderly and, and felt, fit very squarely into what I've felt because it's like yeah and it's that betrayal thing of like I believed for so long that this entity this group of people were um where I belonged and so to be so starkly confronted with the fact that I don't belong there anymore is Mm -hmm. like oh yeah I mean it's even more than a parent honestly Mm -hmm. because even with with God it's he was someone you could talk to like just in your head. Right. Like anytime, right. anywhere, if you were alone, if you were with people, it was someone that was literally always there for yeah. you. Yeah. And so when that element is gone and I always talk about how like I was a pretty, I went through a very lonely time Yeah. and I relied on God for that yeah. support. Yeah. And then when that support was gone, I just realized I now have no one. Yeah. Like I had someone Yeah. and now I have no one and it's, mm-hmm it's it, there's a grieving process it's well and I think what it does I mean I tended to have a more cynical view I think at least at this point because what I think that does is like it prohibits a certain level of intimacy with other people or even with self mm-hmm. where like well just have your quiet time strengthen your relationship with Jesus like that was perpetuated and 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 you know if that's the framework you subscribe to then I'll so be it but I think what it did for me then is sort of perpetuate this idea of like I know how to be useful I was very useful in church utilitarian I mean at, to my core I did all the things right Tell me all, the, <laughs> all what, the things. what were your tat what was your roles I always talk about Which how hats did you roll? where I feel like music is where and oh sorry um church is where I developed a strong love for music and mm. like producing an experience for people that took them to the place they needed to be for that particular yeah. day like my dad is on has been on staff of every church we've ever gone to and usually in the music 
sector and but so I'd go to every single service I would get there early I Mm. loved the magic of like a quiet sanctuary with like empty pews just being like I'm putting out these bulletins like I'm lighting the candles I'm helping my dad test sound like I know that what we're creating is really special theater it is it is it's production it's Mm -hmm. like creating this it's it's facilitating an experience for a group of people Mm -hmm. and and I still love that so much I love producing I love like bringing people together on like a common thing that they're excited and about. That's why I do, I get church because mm-hmm. I do understand that it is a community. Mm-hmm. I get that it's somewhere people can go with shared beliefs and they, you know, they can just talk. Right. And right. it's a huge identity, like yeah. you said. Yeah. And there's a lot of joy in that yes. and there's a lot of comfort in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, continue. Yeah, I think just what I, where I get more almost cynical is like then that so it, it perpetuated this idea within me that I know how to be very useful, but I don't know how to be available because mm. up until a certain point, at least in my experience, it was like every, you know, relationship, like friendship and kind of like a church community relationship. It's like there's intimacy and, and connection up until a certain point. And then it's like, well, go go to Jesus or go to God for the rest of it. Mm. So then you don't I didn't learn like proper conflict resolution. I didn't learn how to be very available and open to connection with people because it was like, well, that like there's a God for that. So like with what other of, humans, do you have any examples of that? I, I mean, it's followed me into my thirties. So <laughs> I feel like I have a litany of examples, but I think, I think that typically how it shows up is there's sort of this phrase that echoes around in my in my brain a lot where I keep people near but not close. And a lot of this, too, revolves around a lot of trauma I grew up or, or that happened in my family around a lot of my formative years, like high school and college, where I, I get very anxious if I don't have people around me because I associate that with being abandoned, with being alone, with, sure. you know, blah, blah, blah. But... I'm not, I've never, I didn't have a lot of experience being vulnerable or close enough to people to feel like I can trust them to take care of me. So like mm. I didn't have, I didn't allow people to get close. So I keep people near, but I don't keep keep people close. And that has manifested itself in many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I married someone who I kept very near and not close at all, right? So there was a lot of manifestations of that. It's with my, my immediate family. It's with a lot of friendships. And so I've worked really hard over the last couple of years to combat that, but mm-hmm. it's hard to unlearn something you, you are trained oh, to, yeah. to practice for over two decades. Would you say that, uh, you have trouble leaning on people? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. On friends? Absolutely. That's something I've been working on in my really? life now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I realized that I really never have leaned on friends. Mm-hmm. And I, I finally mm-hmm. got to the point where I was like, that's what friends are for. I know. They're there and, to help and I am you, so ready to be you. leaned on. I'm so ready to help all oh, the time. That was my whole thing. I was a <laughs> yes. container. I was yes, like, who, yes, needs, yes, who yes. needs a post to lean on? <laughs> yeah, it was actually really profound. One of my dearest friends, um, when I was sort of having this near not close revelation, I was sharing it with her and we're having wine. And she's like, can I tell you how that shows up in our friendship? And I was like, oh, yeah. And she said, I feel like you never let me help you. How and I was very struck by that. that I know. a friend would say that. I know. She's so vulnerable. Yes. And yet so needed. Oh, if yeah. If you want a relationship to grow yeah. and foster is to have that right. transparency. Right. And a tangible example where and it was like, like that's oh. That's how much she loves you. Right that she would be like, I want you to lean on mm-hmm. me. Like, mm-hmm. I want to be close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it was, it struck me as like, oh, and, and, and it was like this zoom out moment where I was like, oh, I don't just do that with her. I do that with literally everyone. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't let anybody help me. And I think there's a lot of things wrapped up in that of like, when you go through trauma, you learn how to survive and cope. Of and course. one of those mechanisms for me was figuring out how to do it on my own. Especially when you're but, younger and oh, you just yeah. don't have the tools. And so when you finally find a tool that works enough for you to live your life without pulling all your hair out right that's it's like you said it's hard to unlearn once yeah. you go yeah. years and years of doing it yeah and then you don't even realize you're doing something harmful to yourself yep mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. exactly yeah so I think there's like this work now that I'm doing to retrain my brain and I see myself show up differently in my relationships now where I can I'm almost like it's like the mindfulness practice of being able mm-hmm. to rise above it where I haven't yet mastered how not to do it, but I at least can see when I'm doing it now of like, oh, Rachel, you're keeping somebody at a distance right now and you're choosing to not let that person help you or whatever the case may be. Like I I can see it now and I'm more honest about it too because I think that also, I think the more things we speak out loud, mm-hmm. the less power they have over us. Mm-hmm. So now it's like, okay, I'm telling you, I that's a tendency of mine and so then now as our friendship continues to blossom you'll be able to say like you're not letting me help you right now like it's a an accountability factor too of like you know this about you and I'm experiencing it now as your friend so like let me remind you that you're not letting me help you right now you know I love that it really is when we don't talk about it the shadow behind us just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it really is once you start shining light on those shadows, mm-hmm. they start going away right, right. and it's easier to deal with. And yeah. uh, you feel lighter. Other mm-hmm. people around you feel lighter. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. but it's a process. And it is. I, and it can be very offensive. I often think of like my lifestyle now or like my not my lifestyle, but I think about a lot of big pillars within my story as like offensive. And I don't even necessarily mean that negatively, but like I ask really hard questions about myself and that causes people to confront those questions within themselves and I make no apologies for that anymore like with friends you do or I think so and I think by I think in particular how this showed up was going through a divorce at a fairly young age that is at least at that time I I mean I think we're kind of on the cusp or on the border of like it not being as stigmatized as it as it used to be but it was very controversial for me to do that. And so I think I did that because, I mean, just for so many reasons, but in, a, in large part because I was saving this marriage at the expense of my soul. And so yeah. to me, it was like, I'm asking a harder question of like myself, like I how, how there's got to be more than this. Like there's got to be something that a different way for me to live yeah. in, a, in a way that more aligns with, um, what I want to subscribe to as my as my life and that and that I'm actually my fullest and most expressed self and which I was not in that space and so I think there's like there's something offensive about somebody who's willing to question a norm especially within a Christian context mm-hmm. and and I think about sexuality I think about being willing to say you know what maybe the way that I feel is actually not like bad or needs to be shoved into any closet like maybe asking like those questions about myself but it can be offensive I think there's been so much growth but I think it can offend people in terms of like oh what that's one thing I noticed in a church environment too is whenever anyone had doubts or any sort of question it's almost as if it was encouraged publicly but then when you would actually do it they'd be like yeah 
like what are you doing right like right no right like, pray about it mm-hmm. you'll come back to god eventually mm-hmm. it's it's very like I don't know. Mm-hmm. Did you experience mm-hmm. that as well? Oh, absolutely. I had such a long conversation. I remember with, um, the person who pastors the last church that I went to that, um, hurt me very deeply. But before that point having, and he, and he professed to be a very like progressive liberal Christian, like et cetera, et cetera. And I remember having a conversation with him after he told me he hoped his son didn't turn out gay. And I was like, you don't get to so it's like until it affects your life you're all about yeah. it you know you're progressive you're inclusive you're all these things but until it like causes you to confront some real truths that you haven't worked out in your life it's it's that's when it's allowed and up until that point and that's where i think it's really dangerous mm-hmm. you know because it's like if you're not if you're not like this is performative at that point maybe not yeah. dangerous but it just feels performative that's a good word for it mm-hmm. What was the biggest thing you learned about your divorce? Mm. Or I should say a relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. type of relationship during the whole process. Um, I think that the... I remember sitting in, in therapy, uh, obviously. Shout out to therapy. Shout out to therapy. Good Lord. Like the people that do that work, I have such mad respect for um, in particular, that's what I mine. almost went into. I mean, I got that social work was my field. Yes, yes, mad props to. I mean, I'm not doing it now. Still, you yeah. did, you did it, and have that spirit about you anyway. So, but yes, it it's is hard. No, yeah, it is. It is really. I can only imagine, especially for people like us who want people to lean on us. Right, right. It can almost be unhealthy. Yeah. In that field. Yeah. Because you just take on all this stuff because yep. you know you can contain that for everyone yep mm-hmm. and then you just don't know how to let it go that's totally, what fills you totally yeah um, Ugh, that or other sense. people's burdens yes so. Oof. Oof. well i'm very grateful for mine <laughs> um but i remember sitting um it was my birthday uh which was funny because like i just happened to go to therapy on mondays and my birthday was a monday but also it felt like no other place i should be at on my birthday mm-hmm. um and she said I was just in a I was in a very, very dark place and was like circling the drain as far as did not know how I was. Um, I didn't think divorce was an option, but I was drowning within the context of my marriage. And it, how old are you when you got married? I was 24 okay. when I got married. I was an infant, essentially. Yeah. Um, did you meet him in church? Um, college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a, in a college context. Um, yeah. So I was very young, thought I knew, Ooh, thought I knew myself, thought I knew all, I was so cocky. I was so cocky about like, thought I knew everything about marriage, thought I knew everything that it took to like have a lifelong partnership and, um, obviously have learned lifetimes about those subjects now. But what I remember, this was like probably, not even a year before it would all end up kind of blowing up and or I guess about a year. And she said to me, like, where you are right now, like this is not working for you. Mm-hmm. So whatever this is, like you need to change it. Don't let another birthday go by like this. You have to change it. Mm. And I remember being like, I think that's the biggest lesson I've learned is that if you don't like the current story that you're living, you can rewrite it. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't always mean it, it's going to be like, it's going to end in a divorce. No. I, I, it's not what I mean at all. I don't think I don't want to perpetuate the idea that like commitments can be flippant. And that's, that's certainly not what I intend to profess. But what I do think we get trapped into is thinking that like saying yes to one thing at one point means that 
we risk everything else in order to keep saying yes to that. And that's what I was doing. I was Mm -hmm. eroding away at who Rachel was just to stay a missus, just to stay a wife. And that's banana town, but that's what made sense to me. So I think what I learned the most is like, whatever that means, if it's a job, if it's a partnership, if it's a version of your life that you're living, that you no longer are connected to or feel like is right for you or feel your healthiest, most fullest self in, you can change your story. You could re- absolutely rewrite your story. And you should because this, I mean, again, the death convo. Uh, this, all I can say is like, I do feel like this is the one, ex- this is the only version of this life that I'm going to experience. And I'm yeah. not going to, I just would have these panic attacks thinking I'm going to wake up at like 55 and be like, oh my God, I've been miserable for 40 years or whatever. Like I literally haven't been happy. And so I think that's what motivated me was like, this is not a version that I can live with anymore. So I think just, I think that's what I grasp onto the most is you can change it. Yeah. And you should. And that's a great, great message. It was also like the year of the divorce and at least in like the Christian evangelical sphere, like there were a couple like fairly well-known authors who like ironically also like came out to their husbands and then got divorces and so I felt very empowered by a lot of like public figures like Glennon Doyle she's Glennon Doyle now but Glennon Doyle Melton then that was the same year um Elizabeth Gilbert which she's less like Christian evangelical but but has some like connotations there big magic right over there yes you do but so there were these like public expressions of things that I had been feeling which felt that happened at the same time for almost you to be like like a validation. Yes, yes. Of like just somebody normalizing something that I'm experiencing. And the universe just saying, you're doing like yeah. you're doing the right thing. Yeah. You're on the right path. Right, right. And you're not alone. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So was that how your relationship was ending? Was you being honest mm-hmm. about certain things? I think that there are quite a few things that contributed to the end of my marriage. But I think that um, it's twofold. I think – or the two that I, you know, feel – comfortable sharing are the ones that <laughs> of course. Um, are yes I was in therapy for I realized I would say I came to terms with my sexuality of being bi queer attracted to souls pan I think yeah. there's like a lot of mm-hmm. I'm I haven't quite landed on a label that actually makes sense for me but for the for the Labels are silly. Labels are so silly. I but for as far them, as like but... the information I felt like I needed to communicate to this person that I had married was that I was attracted to women as well. Um, it was about halfway through my marriage, but it took about a year in therapy before I came out to him, before I felt comfortable coming out to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, the response was, I mean, 100% rejection and, and um rejection of that about me and then rejection of me within that context and to the point where it was just then ignored and kind of forced to be stuffed away in this box that gets put on a shelf that you never touch or look at Mm -hmm. again and because I think all of our intersectionalities are parts of our identities that deserve to be able to express themselves and show up however and talked about however you need that was one thing that was very much eroded away at within me was this mm-hmm. like who you are cannot fit inside of this marriage anymore mm. and I think that catapulted me into several experiences that really like deconstructed a lot of things my faith what I thought it meant to be well my sexuality what I thought it meant to be a wife what I thought it meant to be a lot of things and so the way I visualize it is all these things came crashing down. I found people like support systems, therapy, books, like a lot of um, 
like resources that then helped me reconstruct me back together, but then I no longer fit inside that box, right? And so it was like either keep the box and shave off all your edges and round off all the corners mm-hmm. and get real small again, or oh. right, or so that your really new hit self. Me when you said get real small again, yeah. That oh, that's what, what I had to do. Like. Yeah, that's absolutely what I had to do. I had to get really small and I had to get really quiet mm-hmm. for the bulk of that marriage. And mm-hmm. so it, then I was left with this choice. And I think through the experiences of that I had through, you know, either people I didn't know that had these stories or people that I was in relationship with that taught me these things. I always think of this um, Buddha quote that actually Elizabeth Gilbert, I remember speaking about where it's something to the effect of like everywhere you go in the world, when you step into an ocean, you know, it's the ocean because it tastes like salt. Similarly, anytime you experience enlightenment you know it's enlightenment because it tastes like freedom right (laughs) and so i i think that as i experienced freedom you know in little doses or Mm -hmm. seeing other people live in their freedoms it was like you can't go back to not knowing you can't go back to like what gave you the courage to step forward because i feel like we are very Mm -hmm. similar and as you're talking i relate to a lot about what you're saying about realizing sexuality and Mm -hmm. that you don't fit inside this box that you had grown up in yeah and i found a lot of trouble since we both don't rely on people very well i found it hard to have confidence to move forward yeah because i i knew i couldn't do it myself yeah yeah so i just want to know on from your in your experience what gave you the courage to well, I do think it would be a misnomer to call step. it courage because there were <laughs> there were a lot of things that sort of forced. It was like it was it should have happened so long before it did. If I had maybe more wherewithal to actually um, be the one to choose to, but there were a lot of different circumstances, a lot of different things that things just came to a head and it was forced to end. Um, so that is one answer. The other thing is the same dear friend who who told me at the at the wine bar that she felt like I didn't ask for help um went through a divorce about a month before me Mm. so I had the like gift that I will forever be grateful for which sounds really like dark when it's talking about divorce but to have a friend go through it at the basically the same time and a little bit ahead and so even everything from like what how how do you file for divorce in the state of California to like how does this feel and like what were the experiences I think having somebody I think we both are really grateful again in like a sick way to have had somebody to go through it together because that's why telling your story and telling your experience is so important yeah because there's going to be at least one person yeah yeah who would identify with it and that will feel validated and will honestly probably have the courage to take that first step because they know that someone else went through it first mm-hmm. and what a blessing that your good friend did it so quickly before you I know I know so it was great because we were like kind of like you know hip to hip in some yeah. things and had not necessarily like the same experience I think um our marriages were different and I think we respond as humans differently but to just have somebody who gets it I mean some it's like you don't know it until you know it's not a breakup it's not just like getting dumped it's not like breaking up with somebody it is it's way weirder than that explain to someone who has never been divorced what how it feels different than just a breakup Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to steal this from Amy Poehler who went through a divorce who was another example around that same time for me who again put words to things but she talks about it's like having a picnic blanket with 
the plates and the cups and the cheese and the snacks and the drinks and the silverware all laid out perfectly. And then all of a sudden you just have to like totally flip the picnic blanket up into the air and you shove it down real quick and everything lands again, but in like a totally different way. Some parts are broken and no longer useful. Some parts are on the opposite side of where they were originally, but it's still a picnic blanket. So I think what that, like what that says to me is like, I had, I thought I was with the person I was going to be with for the rest of my life. So there were lifelong um, plans and then plans changed. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so, so I think it feels like a total paradigm shift. It feels like a total, and being a woman in that, I went through the whole that changed my name, did all combined our bank accounts, like did all the things. And so even from a tangible standpoint, it's like everything changed at literally everything. I still have things that come in my married name and it's been almost three years. And that's a, that's a part of it is the logistical kind of nightmare. And so it, it is a thing that like, yeah. Yeah. So I think, that's the best I can explain it is like you it's not just a breakup it's not just getting over an ex it's it's literally like a whole life plan that is very different than you thought it was going to (laughs) be and and I I this is what I wanted I mean this is what it was this was all coming to a head for at least two of the four years that we were married and so but it doesn't make it any easier I mean it doesn't make it any any more exciting to go through and and really only feel like in the last year kind of coming into the third year out of it where I've had access to language to actually describe because I got really quiet again right after there were a lot of different people involved and a lot of people that I think I think the other big thing that I learned is like it's very easy for us to villainize and victimize in especially in something that seems as black and white as divorce. Mm-hmm. And we took turns hurting each other very, very deeply. And some of those, some of the ways that we hurt each other were more outward and some were more internal. Only we would ever know those things. Mm-hmm. And so it's easy for those outward things to make it, it, it makes it easy for people to look at that and be like, oh, well, she's evil and he's the wounded bird. So let's all flock to him and comfort him. Yeah. And so with like kind of the division of people in that, in that way, it makes, it made me really quiet. It made me like, well, I don't have a story to tell and I don't deserve the footing to tell Mm. that story. So I just got really quiet. So I think entering kind of this third year, this last year is the first time I've been like, no, 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 I have some things to say. Like my experience is actually also very valid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like literally. (laughs) So I think that also is I I will never look at divorce the same way. I will never see it as like, oh, who did what? Like, what happened? Yeah. I when people ask me that, I'm like, everything and nothing. I don't know. Like, that's not as easy as you have a lot more compassion for it. So much more compassion and so much more compassion for yeah, because it's like, oh, the things that you choose to do. Like, there's context around that, and there's months, if not years, that led up to those decisions. And I have, I think I just have more. Yeah, I have more empathy, more compassion for that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Has that ruined your want to get married in the future? I don't think I feel as connected to that idea anymore, which if I'm really honest, I probably never felt super connected to that idea. It was just what I was supposed to do. Yeah. It was like the thing you do, you go to, I went, you know, in my context, it was go to college, meet the person, get married, get the house, get the dog, get the babies. Did you have a ring by spring? I did not have a ring by spring, but it was, I mean, 24. It's not like it was that far off out. Um, So I think that when I think about partnership now, 
I think I just get less caught up in what it should look like and what. And honestly, what a I hate to say this, but like what a blessing that is because yeah. I've never gone through an experience like that. Yeah. And I feel like I still have some of those yeah. ideologies yeah. about relationships yeah. when really I should just go into it with a more like, let's just see what happens. Yeah. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Yeah. But. And I think I'm just, especially again, being a woman in that context, if it were to be, for instance, another heterosexual marriage, I think there's a lot of like, there's a lot of patriarchy in the institution of marriage that I ignored when I first got married. And now I'm just a lot more like, oh, I don't know if I need the whole white dress and ceremony and taking their last name thing anymore. Yeah. It doesn't feel exciting to me. And, it, and I don't know if it did or if I just was like numb, but I, I don't get, get excited about it anymore. There is something exciting about like that type of change. I don't know what it is, sure, but sure. I do get the allure yeah. of it. It's, and I guess that's maybe what I feel more firmly rooted in is like I'm gonna decide what I am excited about I'm not just gonna be excited about the things I feel like I'm supposed to be excited about so I probably just from the logistical nightmare that it was have no plans of ever changing my name again (laughs) because Uh, doing it twice I'm good like I am good you're like I'll socially keep your name yeah 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 exactly but I think like I think also just knowing now the kind of version of like partnership and marriage and wedding and kind of all of that that I would actually be excited about I feel more comfortable being like oh no no this is the version as opposed to like oh well it's what everybody does I'll do that what's one thing you think you're gonna in regards to partnership what's one thing you've learned from marriage and divorce that you wouldn't have known otherwise moving into other partnerships Ooh, that's a good one hmm I this is what I've learned I I was so um, deeply un... Well, I think the rejection piece probably spoke to it, but I was not seen and getting my needs met within that relationship. And so what I... My response to that was... My responses to that were all very unhealthy and, and struggled so deeply with depression and anxiety and filled the void with so many things that I shouldn't have filled it with. And... I thought that that was the cost of staying married. And I remember even again in the last year having this realization in therapy like, oh my God, I'm never going to have that kind of relationship again where I'm not getting my needs met and therefore have to look elsewhere or get them in unhealthy ways. I feel so much more empowered now to stand within the context of a partnership and be like, hey, I'm not getting these specific things met. Let's either work it out, get them met, or buy. Like, I have no problem ending something that I'm not, where I can't be fully expressed as myself. Whereas before, it was like, save marriage at all costs, including the cost of, like, who I am. So I think I take that into new partnerships now, where it's like, I have to be able to take up space there. And it's not like it's 50-50. It's it's 100-100. Right, right. I'm going to bring 100% of myself. You're going to bring 100% of yourself. yes. And if it's going to work, it's going to work. Yeah. And if not, yeah, good news. There's someone yeah. else out there that can yeah. take your 100%. Exactly. No, like no one deserves to have less than 100% from exactly. someone. Exactly. Yeah. And so you're either in partnership with somebody who wants to work through those things, mm-hmm. is not perfect, but is willing to work through those things, or you're not. And then that's your answer as opposed to like, oh, I have to stay in this partnership still. What would you say to maybe someone within the realm of Christianity mm-hmm. who maybe has gotten married early in Mm -hmm, life mm -hmm. and 
uh, I don't even know if I should ask this question. I don't know if it's <laughs> worth it. But I feel like I know quite a few individuals who got married really early on who not that they think they necessarily made a mistake, but that they maybe aren't as happy as they thought they were going yeah. to be. Yeah. Um, what would you say to them? Yeah. And there's probably so many things I would say or ask, but I remember so often, I remember so often within sort of the context or the community that I was in, I would have these like zoom out moments where I would just look at all the people and everybody's like white and married and heteronormative culture reigned and everybody has the dogs and there's kids running around. And I'd have these moments where I'd like have these out of body experiences where I was like, are you all happy? Like, mm-hmm. And I would joke, I mean, this is like joking, but kind of not like would want to go up to in particular some of the wives and be like, blink twice if you're unhappy too. like just like, so that yeah. I know that we're, you know, so I think what I would say would be like, find the people that will ask you those hard questions mm, that you yeah. need to be asked so that you're checking yourself too. And if yeah. you are happy, great. But if, if you have that kind of inkling or that question, there's there's a probability that you that you have some bigger questions you have to ask yourself Mm -hmm. um and beyond that i think the biggest question is just like are you living the version of your life that you want to be living and are you feeling like the most fully expressed version of yourself yeah you know and i think that i think that the narrative of like you know you are you are evil saved by grace is really beautiful in its own context when you choose to believe that. But I think it can perpetuate a narrative of like, well, the unhappiness or the, you know, um, the stuff I have to suffer through is all a part. It's by design. I would argue that, that I, I think that the, that the being that you believe that created you would want you to live the fullest, most bubbly life. And so if you're not, you have to ask why. And if the answers to those questions are a marriage or a job, again, all of the things, then something has to change because it's going to manifest itself anyway. Oh yeah. It's going to show up anyway. And and that's what happened to me. I wasn't asking or being asked the harder questions. And so it showed up in a, in a lot of really unhealthy ways. And I, and I don't think that has to be that way. I think if we can get ahead of it, then I think we can get out of or amend the circumstances we're in so that those questions are answered on a different level. Just talk about it. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's mm-hmm. no need to hoard it in within yourself for years and years until it finally bubbles up and explodes. Right. It's like, if you just ask the questions, don't be afraid of the questions. Yeah. I think, I think it's hard. I think if, I think that if a rule causes you a rule that you believe in a K a like that divorce is, is sinful. If that's a rule that you believe in and that prevents you from living a life that you feel excited about. I think, I think there's, I think it's worth exploring that. I, I don't think that that, that doesn't seem to match up yeah. to me, but also I would say like the hardest thing you can imagine doing is absolutely possible. Like I, I had no idea that just from any emotional logistical standpoint. And I was broke. I mean, there were so many things that like they just, but I, I think what I learned is like, I can do hard things. I can absolutely do that hard is things. Probably the most beautiful message. You can do hard things. I can do hard things. And, and sometimes you can, you can only do, do one hard do thing a day and that's okay. Yes. You don't have to do it all. Yeah. Like I remember sitting with my mom after I had told her and she's like, 
having her own meltdown, but she was listing off, well, you have to call your grandma and you have to call this person. You ha- I was like, listen, mom, I moved out of my apartment today. Like I officially separated from the person I thought I was spending my life. That's the only hard thing I have to do today. Maybe tomorrow I can do one or two of those other things on your list. But like today, that was the only hard thing I can do. And that that's how I had to approach a lot of things. Sometimes I had to just like change my name on one thing file that thing, send the email, and then binge Netflix for the rest of the day. And that was the only hard thing I could do that day. And that was how I got through that season. That is so beautiful. <laughs> I hope you know that is That shows such strength, mm. such, I mean, just a perspective that I think is not accessible to a lot of people during that time because it's such an emotional time. Yeah. I think people, the first thing that people get rid of is their own desires and their wants. Yes. And to be able to take a step back and be like, I know I have a hundred things that I need to do. Right. To be able to just give yourself that grace to be like, I'm going to do one thing today. Yeah. And then I'm just going to love myself. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think that is so empowering mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. shows such strength mm-hmm. in you. Mm-hmm. God bless you. That, that, I mean, <laughs> I think that's going to be so healing for a lot of people mm-hmm. to hear. I hope so. I think the other big thing that I would say, too, is like after whatever needs to end ends, that's actually when the work starts because I think it would have been very easy for me to jump directly into new, a new partnership. I'm a Libra. We like to be partnered. I'm like a Libra. <laughs> we like relationships, but chose very specifically to embrace kind of this season of not being partnered right away. And, and I think that was so it was, and it still is so necessary for me to be working on myself because if I just take all that same stuff into a new marriage the same result is going to happen and so I think that's another reminder is like and you see this a lot and it happened in with my ex that like they just get married again right away and it's like okay but what about the things that were like the root causes of yeah. of you know that so I think that's what I would say too is that like the real work has to be done at some point and and I think it can happen inside the context of you know a partnership I just if you're not doing that work, then it wasn't worth it at all to like end what you had to end. And that's again, a job, a friendship, whatever is toxic. Like if it has to end, end it and then do the work to figure out how you got there in the first place and how you're not going to let it happen again. Preach. That's amazing. (laughs) Thanks for coming to my Ted talk. Yeah. (laughs) My My Ted talk talk would be all over the place. It would be about religion. It would be about divorce. It would be about, I don't know. <laughs> I, you should totally do it. How do people get TED Talks? Yeah. Do you Ted, apply? are you listening? Ted. Or, <laughs> you have to get nominated. I think you have to nominate it, probably. I don't think so. Or I'll like call asked. Brene Brown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she'll just call her up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Oh, love her. Oh, she's the best. I have a lot of questions about when you realized sexuality wise that you were not heteronormative. Yes. And what that looked like for you. Growing up in a church environment. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, I definitely feel like I started to ask those questions of myself, probably the most in college, but truly still was very under the context of like, I didn't think it was bad because I didn't like judge other people. I just felt like it wasn't true of me. I just pushed it aside and didn't let myself ask questions, but would definitely probably consider myself like curious in college and would do the typical like get drunk and make out with your girlfriends and like, oh my God, it was so isn't fun. that funny? And then it's like, okay, but wait, was it like funny for wait, you like, or like were you into it? <laughs> like, are we dating? Do you want to cuddle? <laughs> um, but then like, you know, 
kept operating under like business as usual, like met the dude, married the dude. And it was like, oh, I think what I did think was like, oh, this fixes it. I won't ever have a question about being attracted to anyone else, let alone somebody of the same gender. <laughs> and again, so great, you know. Um, so then I think it was like, yeah, about halfway through my marriage that it just really became confronting. And there's a lot of circumstances that led to like why I was confronted with it. But I think that how it showed up for me was like, I can't live my entire life um, rejecting a part of me just because I wasn't as comfortable with it two years ago when I signed up for this life partnership. Like the only reason I would, because I would, I would talk to like strangers. I would talk to some friends, like not friends that knew him, but like had kind of told a couple people, but like would, was terrified to tell him. And I mean, the response uh, that I thought I was going to get was what I got, which is why I was afraid. But I think also that just says a lot about like how I don't want to make waves, you know, how I like need to uh, get quiet so that I don't disrupt anything. So then I think it was really just like, it kind of, it was not eloquent. It was, I had been in therapy for like how to talk to him about it, but like it was not graceful. It was not like cute. It just kind of came to a boiling point and it bubbled out of me. And it was like, I like girls too. Sorry. <laughs> like, you know, and then we I went no to. no matter how many times you practice it, yeah, in reality, it just totally. never happens how you want it, unfortunately. Totally. Which is why, like, it's so beautiful to me to see, like, so many young people just have so much language around it. And I was like, I was 26 and stumbling over all of my words to be like, I also like girls. <laughs> like, That's I didn't know how to say it. It was so inspiring to me when we yes. volunteered this weekend yes. at Gilson mm-hmm. and just seeing, and actually talked about on the intro of the last episode. Oh, cool. Uh, I got home from there and I just, I was feeling so inspired that we could be in a room full of young queers who are just able to live authentic lives so young and seeing the power in that and seeing the struggle in that. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't imagine what it would be like to be them. Yeah. But how amazing to be able to know that part of yourself so young to embrace it enough to at least share it with someone. Yeah. And then to like start advocating for yourself at such a young age. If I, I was able to advocate for myself at a young age, I know. like what would life have been like? Seriously. I would have such less doubt, such less anxiety if mm-hmm. I could just claim my own self and story mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that young. Mm-hmm. Like I cannot wait for the future of and I our think society I with know. these kids at the, the forefront. I know. And I think what like the, contrast that I see too is that they don't feel the burden on themselves or they're starting to learn that the burden shouldn't be on themselves that it's not a thing to apologize for Mm -hmm. and I think in my experience I felt very burdened and while I can imagine that entering into a very heteronormative marriage and then two years later being told that your partner is identifies differently than how you thought is a curveball I think that the I wish that I felt so burnt. I felt like it was my total fault. When in reality, I was never in a context in which I could be free about who I was. It wasn't my fault. Yes, this is who I am. This is how you can understand me better. Right here, it is. If you want it, this is who I am. Right, and to not feel like I immediately have to apologize for that, which I did at the time. I felt very sorry, but it's like now I can see. Oh my gosh, I never had people around me that allowed me to even question those things let alone express those things it was not my fault I didn't know then and so I think that's what I feel too is that like it it became it was like it it couldn't not be said out loud anymore but I wish that I had been in a context in which I felt like 
proud and excited to share that as opposed yeah. to like totally Fear. terrified. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get that. Which was merited. And that's that. But I think that there's lessons uh, in that too for people. Yeah. And 100% agree. And then I also have this perspective of how special that we finally got there mm-hmm. and at least young enough where we aren't 55 looking yes. back being like, God, I wish I would have just been myself right. a little bit sooner. Right. It's like, yes, we may have been late to mid yeah. to late twenties. Yes. Yes. But how amazing that we worked through what we had to work mm-hmm, through in order mm-hmm. to get to that place where now we can just, yeah, you know, live a life that feels comfortable. Totally. Yeah. I have so many more, even just thinking of the last three years, I'm like, man, this, this version of Rachel is so much closer to who I actually am. And I can't believe I get to live the rest of my life in this skin it's as so opposed amazing. to what yeah. I, where I was. There's something very special about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now I've had another friend who grew up uh, in the Christian community who also is more pans, mm-hmm. more into more fluid mm-hmm. when it mm-hmm. comes to what, who she is attracted to. Yeah. And we've talked about it and she was saying that it can be really difficult for uh, people who are into both genders because you are into the heteronormative one. Mm -hmm. And so you grow up being like, oh, I am attracted to men. Mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when the feelings of being attracted to someone else and of the same gender come up, you almost push it aside because it's like, it must be something else because I am attracted to men. So I'm, I'm straight. Yeah. So That's exactly I just want, how I felt. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know what it, how that played out for you and what was the point where you're like, no, wait, I can be mm-hmm. interested mm-hmm. in both. Mm-hmm. Like that moment when you had that realization of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can be into both and that's okay. Yeah. Um, I am involved with this beautiful organization um, that puts on a music camp for young girls but the volunteer base of this camp is like insane just filled with the most like awesome women gnc folks but a lot of people who at least in some season of their life presented as or identify as women and are Mm. very it was the first time i kid you not and this was like 20 this was like 2013 i guess the first time where i was around people who women who were living their most authentic most true selves and within that group of people met a lot of people who were who would identify as bi or I now have known them for like seven years and I've seen them date men I've seen them date women and so I think it I think for me what was really helpful was having that example of a couple people having the language language, seeing like oh and I think it's funny like I've had friends joke like you don't really have a type like you kind of have always sort of dated all over the map and and it's true even the men I dated before I really came out all were very different Mm. because I just was like attracted to souls or like our connection it was never like sort of these check boxes for me yeah and so i think then seeing that same thing transferred over into like the women's sphere it was like oh that's still true of me and even like the women i've dated are all very different and look different and and so it's i think it's it was more so seeing examples of people live expressions of their lives that felt like oh yeah that i align with that i feel connected to that um but it was weird. Like at first, I when I first was sort of coming out, 
I actually more so, I was so I was very sure I was attracted to women and started to question if I was attracted to men I think that's because I was within a context with somebody that I was no longer attracted to but but yeah. I think it goes without saying that like that can play a part but yeah. I think I think also it was like oh once I once I was sure of it I was dead sure of it and then I was like well, wait do I even like dudes anymore and then I mean I do um so I think it was <laughs> yeah, just like I oh. do <laughs> I do. I very much do. do. <laughs> Me and John, we like dudes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think it was like a context of like, oh, seeing that like, seeing the common denominator for me was more so this like soul connection than it was like your body parts. I think that's amazing. And that's, I think that's so beautiful. And I do think that in a perfect world, that's how everyone would yeah. be, that we're just living a life and we're connecting with people, whoever we connect with, mm-hmm. um, on a friendship basis and on like a sexual basis. Mm-hmm. I feel like in my mind, that's what utopia is. It's just mm-hmm. people just living authentic lives. And yeah. it's like, of course, there's going to be people who are mo- mostly attracted to opposite sex. And that's yeah. fine. There's yeah. nothing wrong with it. Right. But um, mm-hmm. that's my ideal world. Yeah. Oh, same. So going back to God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that one. That one. Yeah, that's an important one. <laughs> How has your relationship with God evolved mm-hmm. over, I would say, the last five to ten years? A couple years. <laughs> I, so you've gone through a lot. I have gone through a lot. I would say the concept of God for me has been, has dramatically changed. And I, I wouldn't say there is a current or a desire for a Mm. relationship with God. And that's because I think my understanding or belief of God, and I keep using air quotes because I still don't know that that's where I land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like higher power universe, like, and, you know, higher being. Um, I don't know. I, I, the context I grew up in was like relationship with God is the goal and I don't subscribe to that anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I don't. Well, that, that was the key. It was the key. That oh my gosh. Your, yeah. That was your secret password. Yes. Into yes. Heaven. Yes. Yes. It was, was yes. your relationship with God. Mm-hmm. So, so I think, and I think we talked about this a little bit, um, before, but I think the best way to describe it is like, I thought about I, what I knew of God was like this cup that sits on a table. Mm. And over the last few years, I think it's been one experience or one season after another where the layers are peeled back and I see, oh, that cup is on a table and there's other things on the table. And that table is actually in a room and that room is actually in a house. And it's just this ever expanding idea Mm -hmm. of what it means to connect with self through a higher being. And, Mm -hmm. and I, I don't quite know what I think about God anymore, but the people that I've experienced that I I guess where I came, where it kind of came to a head for me was the really, really negative experiences of the people that subscribed to that God that I thought I also subscribed to where it was like, okay, well if that's what God is about, I don't want anything to do with it. And it, it sucks to have to be like the people are kind of what turned me off, but it's the truth. I I don't see myself ever really darkening the door of another church again because I don't trust them. And I don't think that's how I am my fullest, most expressed self. And so I think that's probably the biggest thing that like, I don't, I don't think I don't want a, a relationship with a God. I have a relationship with myself that I've never had before. And I have a connection to like the universe in the sense that like the things that happen all around us and the ways that we can connect with, 
you know, so many different energies and so many different people through other things that aren't a God or aren't a religion. Like that's where I'm sort of swimming right now. And so I don't, there's, there's just too much trauma wrapped inside of like having a relationship with God that it's not even something that I am interested in. And that is not to shame anybody who is. It's just that where I got to in my experience is like, that's no longer for me. And I feel really comfortable saying that. And I feel like I don't feel guilty for that anymore. Yeah. It's almost like you need to believe in a God that you actually believe in. Yeah. And I remember for me, it got to a point where people were telling me these things and I'm like, I understand that that's what you believe and that's what you are saying to me, but I don't want to believe in a God like that. No, mm-mm. I don't want to believe in a God that would create a hell for someone when we don't have a choice at living this life. Right. I don't want to believe in a God that would make the decision whether I go to heaven or hell. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like that didn't make sense to me and I didn't want to believe in that mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was really just taking that independence of being like, I can believe in the God that I want to believe in that mm-hmm. feels right to me. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately the Christian God just does not do that mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. It feels, I think it's has struck me at many different points of my life. It feels very like it's still us centric when we think about how we describe or how we attribute God. One of the first times I thought about this was, um, there was a, a shooting in Aurora, Colorado in like 20, yeah, in the movie yeah. theater. Um, my dad and brothers actually had tickets to that no. movie screening. And at the last minute, my mom was like, can you guys go a different day? Because it was like a midnight showing. And my mom was like, I want to see it, but I don't want to go at midnight. It was can we like go? It like an Amy Schumer movie, wasn't it? No, it, um, no, this was um, Batman. It was like 20, this was like before the Amy Schumer, this was like 2014, I want to no, maybe even earlier than that, oh, in Aurora, wow. Colorado. And, and they, the person came in kind of dressed as the Joker. And so people thought it was, it was horrendous, but all that to say, so at the last minute, 11th hour, my dad and brothers didn't go to that, that movie. And I remember the next day being very confronted with like the language of my family was like, thank God, thank God you didn't go. Thank God. Like what a blessing. What like God, God God provided, God protected. And I was like, what about the 20, I think it was like 20 people that died and even more so that got injured. Like who, what was their God doing that? Like what was God doing for them? Like I just, it was like, it's like such a confronting thing of like this hashtag blessed culture of yeah. no, but no, that is not, that doesn't make sense to me that we could, that we get to say like, thank God this happened because it we get to served thank God me. For the good things yeah. And then we get to, let him off the hook for the bad thing. Yeah. Like and and am I so grateful that my family didn't go to that movie? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine. But like at the same time, it just felt very like, I don't, was that God? I don't know. I yeah. don't know. I think that was like your human choice at the last minute to not go to this movie theater. I don't know. Yeah. And maybe they were tapping into like their intuition. They felt yeah. something wrong. Totally. And even I know in my experience, I found that I could not find inner strength when I gave the glory to God. Yeah. Like when I would do something and I would accomplish it uh, as John, like I, when I like, I went through like a three, four year depression mm-hmm. and like I worked through that. And mm-hmm. at the end of that, mm-hmm. I had people be like, thank God mm. that like, and I'm like, like thank John. <laughs> I was like, I did that. Yeah. And there's so, something so empowering about being, about owning that and saying, you know what? No, I did the hard work. Yeah. I made that choice. Yeah. And I think that is the empowerment that we need within ourselves mm-hmm. just to live this independent life. Mm-hmm. 
and not base all of our actions on the fact that someone else is doing it for us. Yeah. Yeah. Or that we're only deserving of it because of of this other person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, absolutely. So I think, I think that is what I get tripped up on too, is that like, it's sort of this like excuse scapegoat and like selfish thing that it all kind of gets tangled. Yeah. So yeah, I, I feel much more connected to myself through things like meditation and mm-hmm. yoga and relationship with people. I am I am a companion. Like I said, I'm a Libra. We love companionship. We love partnership. I experience myself through that context a lot. And, mm-hmm. um, and there's just a lot more. I feel so much more centered and grounded in who I am on this side of all of the religion than I ever did. I think we talked about this on that walk up Mm -hmm. to our place in pride but for me when it comes to the christian god story the god that we are given in the bible is a god that was two thousand years ago yeah and the people that were living in that time had such a small view of our world right they all they knew was that they woke up they know their neighbors They may know something that's going on in the town over, mm-hmm. but their immediate thoughts and all of their thoughts were based in that little village they were in. Mm-hmm. So obviously their God was going to be so small. Right. And that's not bad. I'm sure yep. at the time the God in the Bible was so progressive. Yes. You're like, yes. wow, like this God is so mysterious and like we can't understand him. We can't fathom him. Yeah. But it's like 2000 years later, we have iPhones. Like I can have Postmates. I can order anything I want. That can come to my door in a half hour. Our our worldview is so vast. We have Google. We can literally learn anything we want in a matter of seconds. Mm -hmm. So our God has to be bigger than Mm -hmm. the God from two thousand years ago. So true. We know so much more. We know so much about ourselves, our brain, our universe. The human and, experience, like yeah, how and, people express themselves. And it's like, why do we not want a God that's bigger than that mm. God 2,000 years ago? Like the God that. of now can do so much more for us than the God from 2,000 totally. years ago. And I just like, I like get invigorated. I'm yeah. like, come on. Yeah. Like, there's an energy to this mm-hmm. time. And it's like, if we just embrace it, like there's no stopping us. Right, right. Yeah, I definitely feel like there's a context that is in which that could thrive that just has never grown even though the even though the context now is like so much bigger it's like the rules or the thoughts or the limited beliefs have all sort of stayed the same and yet the world around it is so different and why do we want to stay the same like we grow up we start as children and we go through school to learn and to grow right and we're supposed to take in this knowledge and become and change and become better humans and why would we not apply that to spirituality as well like when we know better Mm -hmm. we evolve Mm -hmm. we grow Mm -hmm. and we do better Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i feel like that's the one thing that religion has gotten wrong Mm -hmm. is that they don't want to evolve they Mm -hmm. like their story they like the cyclical Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. knowledge i think and i get it like there's a lot of comfort in like knowing knowing something and having that community where you all believe the same thing yeah it's a sense of belonging i, yeah, I still I get feel that. that yeah i feel very like and i grieve grateful. that still i, know, I, I know. grieve not having a community of people and i still have friends that are in the church and they invite me to these prayer groups and these you know brunches where they like mm-hmm. talk about their lives and they pray for each other and as much as i love that mm-hmm. i just can't mm-hmm. yeah like, and that's something i really do miss mm-hmm. well they say that like 
you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like food, water, shelter, mm-hmm. safety, security. They say that belonging is right up there. It would be like the sixth one. And I think that is what a church context provides is this sense of normalcy, this sense of tradition, this mm-hmm. sense of belonging. Which is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And I get it. So then when you exit that, it's a it's a high it's a part of your hierarchy of needs to mm-hmm. feel like you belong. So you have to establish that elsewhere. But in that transition time, it's incredibly depressing. It's so it's you difficult. have to grieve it, to yeah, use your words. Totally. Yeah. Back to like empowerment is that what's great about community is you can find it anywhere. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about the company we work for mm-hmm. is that this company has given me a community that mm-hmm. gives me the same feeling that a church did. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, or at least it's given me a group of friends that yes. I can claim mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah. Yeah. I would say I've met so many people and not, not just necessarily in this job, but in the last, like since leaving a church, I have met so many people who teach me so much more about forgiveness and unconditional yes. love and celebration, not just tolerance of differences, but celebration of differences yes. than I ever found within the four walls of I a know. church. I, I've had the same experience mm-hmm. because I, since we are all having a unique individual experience not everyone's going to connect to this religious idea of how to cope Mm -hmm. and you Mm -hmm. know i think that's what's so special is that we have the opportunity to believe whatever we want to believe and you just have to figure out what feels good to you and if it doesn't feel good yeah change it yes find something that feels good yes and it's okay to change and i i would encourage people to they'll feel better i know it's gonna be really hard to like get through that glue Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but like once you're through that glue the freedom you feel to choose and you might choose back you might go back to christianity you might choose church again that's fine but make sure it's your choice because you want it yes snaps to that it's like if you're doing it for you it can still look how it was before but as long as you're doing it there's still something very beautiful about it Mm -hmm. yeah but you need to want it. And unfortunately, I don't see a lot of want. And I think that's where all of this, unfortunately, the negativity comes and our view of church is so skewed because you can tell that a lot of people don't want that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in a weird way. Mm-hmm. They need something else that is not being given to them. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're given those rules or you're given those norms, there's comfort in that of being yeah. told what to do. Cause then you feel like you're doing it right. Mm-hmm. And that's, isn't that all of our question is of like, course. am I screwing all this up? Like, am I doing any of this right? So there's some sense of comfort in that of like, these are the rules. These are the boundaries. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. If you follow these things, then like you're doing life right Mm -hmm. and so there's a sense of like oh okay i can exhale i'm doing it like and that's what i would that was the narrative constantly within my marriage was like okay but i married the guy and i have we have the house and we have the dog and like we have our jobs and we have the things and like i was constantly trying to talk myself down of like but rachel you're so unhappy (laughs) you're so miserable and that's a great example of on the outside it looks like you have everything Mm mm-hmm and it's like sometimes you can have everything you want. Mm-hmm. You can have money. Mm-hmm. You can have the best job. Yep. But if you aren't living an authentic life and the thing that really feels good to you and fuels you, you're never going to be happy unless yeah. you do the thing that makes you feel good. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that does mean changing something drastic in your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's hard mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's scary. But that's why we have these types of conversations so that other people can hear 
that it's possible. Mm-hmm. And there's life on the other side of exactly. it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. It's so good. It's so and there's good. something so powerful about doing that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just love it. There's so much empowerment to it mm-hmm, and strength mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and confidence. Yeah. 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 I think when we give, well, again, when we tell our stories, the less power it has over us and then the more um, traction it can gain with other people who are like, oh, wait, that kind of describes how I feel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the more examples people have of, yeah. of what it could look like for them. Yeah. And don't be afraid to make your needs known because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's something I know I never did growing up. Yeah is because I didn't know it was an option. Yeah. (laughs) Quite frankly, I didn't, I didn't know it was an option to say, this is what I need. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Yeah. It's so wild. Cause now it's like, Oh, I would, I refuse to live that kind of trapped life anymore. Mm -hmm. But again, we do the best we can with what we were working with at the time. (laughs) And I firmly believe the the cultural context plays a huge role in that. So I don't fall. I don't feel guilty. I don't, I don't need to be ashamed or apologize for the context I grew up in. I didn't know any, Different. I'm so thankful for the context I yeah. grew up in. I, I really am. I love that I had that experience and grew up that way because it really gave me a foundation for wanting mm-hmm. something more mm-hmm. and for embracing mystery yeah. and something bigger than myself, which I wouldn't have had otherwise. Totally. So I'm very thankful for it. Me too. I am too. Yeah. I'm just also thankful to have new eyes now, I have new too. things that I, <laughs> new contexts that help me be my best New contexts so. <laughs> and new contexts for our eyes. Yes. New context and new context. <laughs> this is amazing. You're amazing. This You're is amazing. so great. I think that like the importance of vulnerable conversations is just always going to amaze me. Like I'm never, I, I hope we never feel numb to that. I hope it I always too, feels powerful. see about it. Like yeah. there's something inside me that literally vibrates yeah. when you connect with someone yeah. on a story and yeah. just hearing someone else's experience because you know that there's someone out there who's going to relate to it. Mm-hmm. It could just be one person, mm-hmm. but that one person who hears that story could be life-changing. Totally. And that's worth it. I know. It's so worth it. And I don't know why we don't do it more with the people closest to us, mm-hmm. our friends, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the people we work with, yeah. even our family. Like yeah. We don't talk about the things that will actually help us grow. Mm-hmm. And that's our experience and Mm -hmm. the things that are really impacting us Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and what we actually do when we go home from work. It's like, what did you do when you went home from work? Oh, I watched Netflix. I'm not telling you the fact that I thought about this one thing over and over again for three hours. Right, right, right. It's like, that's my real night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I was watching some on Netflix, but do I remember it? No, because I had anxiety. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, How validating to just be like, we're all kind of screwed up in a way. Let's talk Mm -hmm. about it. Mm Mm-hmm. Ugh, we are all so screwed up and so beautiful. That's Honestly, what I, I wouldn't love have it. Any other way. Oh, same, same, same. A, a life without bad, mm-hmm. really, and I really have thought about this a lot recently, is we really would not know good without bad. Totally. And it's that dualistic thing, and I hate that about our world, that it's so black and white, and it's this or that. Yeah. Um, and that's the context that we understand things. Right. But it really is, if we don't have bad days our good days are so much less good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like our joy can be so much greater mm-hmm. when we accept the bad that we experience mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because we know how bad it can get. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so then when yeah. you don't have it, you're like, hell yeah. I know. I like, know. yes. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Well, thank you. Do you feel good? I feel Is great. there anything else you want to talk about? No, I mean, I think we covered it. <laughs> you all <laughs> got like, a I think lot we of Rachel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I love it. I know everyone else is going to love it. <laughs> I think what strikes me too is like, 
it's so it's such a privilege to get to share our stories and i'm also struck with the empowered feeling of like i'm so grateful to be able to tell my story and to be able to have boundaries in what i share because that's the other part is like you don't have to go from zero to 60 you don't have to share all your deepest darkest secrets you don't have to trauma bond with people but like share the parts of your story that are healed or that you feel ready to share or that you feel like have an importance right like that i feel like people will connect to mm-hmm. but i don't know anybody my story i don't know anybody and every detail your story. and not everyone deserves your and story that is a truth i've had to learn recently is yeah. that not everyone deserves to hear your truth and yes. that's okay yes you get to choose yes who gets to know you yes and that's why it's so special when people do come out to, yep. to you yep and yep. that's the power of sharing your story and being like I'm choosing to tell you this. I'm not doing it to hurt you. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. doing it so that you understand me better yep. and that we can have a better relationship. Yeah. Because I don't have to tell you. I love it's the quote that's like, boundaries are how I can love both of us at the same time. Oh. And it's like, boundaries are how I still love me. At the end of this conversation, I regret, I, I don't regret anything. I, I regret nothing as far as like what I've shared because I shared what I feel comfortable with. Isn't it so weird how we're so offended by boundaries i know even me as i'm thinking about i'm like if someone tried to put a boundary up with me i'd be like i know what i know oh trust me a lifetime of codependent relationships (laughs) i absolutely feel that way really how beautiful to set boundaries because sometimes that's just what we need and it is yeah and it's it's the way that we can live more healthy within what we are sharing or living or expressing because we're saying yes to that we're choosing those things to share or to express or whatever but it's not like it's not out of our control where we're just like subject to whatever audience especially in a world of social media when i feel like it's expected that we share everything that's going on in our lives totally this is the coffee i had yeah this is the croissant i had guess what i had a panini for lunch (laughs) (laughs) but you're so Uh, right it's like the pressure is on yeah but what about how about it's not how about it doesn't have to be how about like and how special and how how fun to be Mm -hmm. like guess what I did something you don't know about. Today. Yeah. And that's mine. And I, and that's yeah. okay. And I don't, I don't owe anybody any part no. of it. And if, and similarly, I feel the same way of like, it's okay to share the people, share the parts of your story where people hurt you because that Anne Lamott quote always gets me or it's like, you if people wanted you, I know every, I love Anne Lamott, <laughs> all of the, Elizabeth all Gilbert, the Glennon but Doyle. She, she says something like, if you if people wanted you to speak nicer about them, then they should have behaved better. And I <gasps> I stand by that. It's like, listen, I'm not yeah. out to like trash talk everybody, but I'm also not gonna sh- I'm not gonna lie about how people treated me. Like sometimes people have treated me really poorly, mm-hmm. and in certain contexts, it's okay for me to share that because it gives life to my experience and totally. it humanizes me. And if you didn't want me to say those things about you, then you, you should shouldn't have, have done better. them. Sorry. Like my behavior, like me me shedding light on those things is not the problem. The problem is your behaviors. And we're humans. <laughs> And we make humans. mistakes. Totally. So it's like, yes, you can say something bad. And that doesn't make you a bad person. Right. But it doesn't mean you didn't say it. Exactly. Exactly. It yeah. also doesn't mean that you can't be forgiven. And right. That we All can't that can be on. true at the same time. Yes. But yeah, we're we're going to make mistakes. Yeah. And I'm going to say things that are offensive. You're going to say things that are offensive. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't even mean that we necessarily mean them. It's yep. just sometimes we just say things. Yep. Because we're human. Because we're human. And we just... Fallible creatures. We sure are. <laughs> That's what makes us special. I know. I don't know. I true. can weirdly find a lot of... You're very optimistic. 
Yeah, it's a new and thing I... that I'm going through, and I think that's why it's so <laughs> special to me because I'm like, you know, I kind of like that we're so imperfect. I'm going through a season imperfect. of optimism. <laughs> like, it's a sickness. I love it. It kind of is. <laughs> no, I'm... that's good. It's helpful for the cynics like yeah. myself. <laughs> I loved being a cynic, though. It's, it feels very There's power. There's yeah. power. Yeah. Well, I think it's necessary. I think it's necessary to question Because it's things. a group of people. It's yeah. a community. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It all goes back to community. And that's why I have so much compassion for the church because I get it. Totally. I get that that's why we do it totally. is because we need community and we need to make sense of this life that we have and the fact that we die. Yeah. Because that's the only thing we know in life yep. is that we are going to die right. and we have to make sense of it. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we're going to create something that gives us a label for it. Totally. Totally. Wow. We could talk for 16 hours. <laughs> <laughs> that's our TED Talk. <laughs> yeah, that's our TED Talk. It's okay. We can do part two. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And you have Thanks. a podcast too. I do have a podcast, well, which is funny being on the other side of the bike. Y- here's um, the thing. You can tell that you're someone that knows how to talk ooh. in the best way. Like you, I feel like it's always easier to tell podcast people yeah. <laughs> based on their ability to share stories totally. and just talk I without mean, prompts. Yes. Cause I barely yes. had to prompt you and you yeah. were like, here's <laughs> this, a quarter this, in this, me this, and this, I go Burr. next. It's like, <laughs> it's like the typewriters when it yeah. dings. <laughs> You're like, next topic, yeah, please. I mean, it is no secret that I need barely no permission to, <laughs> to just talk. I think that's incredible. But I think I'm need- a storyteller by nature. I think that, like, that's how we can, that's how I connect with people. That's how Same. we connect is, like, telling the stories, saying the things that are actually, saying all true things, just telling the truth, just saying the first true thing that comes to mind each day is, like, the most not? empowering thing. Because why not? Yeah. You know what I mean? Why but it hide? is funny to be like, oh... I typically am asking the questions and kind of concocting the stories and it's a good reminder to to me of of my story matters too and what I have experienced matters also and um, it's a different it's a different context right but it's like but the that's same so principle. important for everyone else to hear too because I know even me growing up I didn't feel like my story was worthy at all yeah, yeah. But it's like the fact that you are alive on earth right now right. the chances of you hmm becoming you are so slim so true. the fact that there was that sperm right. that hit that egg right. you could have easily been someone else yep. or not mm-hmm. existed and the mm-hmm. fact that you do exist gives you that permission to own your story mm-hmm. and that your story matters mm-hmm. no matter what happens yeah 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 and that you get to own everything that's happened to you to own all of your experiences and those are there are scars and there are like joyous things, right? There's like so many good things and so many hard things. And and we are totally the sum of all of our parts. And Mm -hmm. that is a beautiful thing about us, not a frustrating thing about us. Totally. And that's honestly why I named the podcast Sondra wave. Cause Mm -hmm. I do believe that the experience and knowledge that everyone gains Mm -hmm. in this world Mm -hmm. just gets put back into this like universal wave that we evolve from and that's how we do evolve we share stories mm-hmm. and it's passed on from generation to generation and we learn about what people did before so that we can have a better future mm-hmm. so it's like no matter what your experiences you still experience life and that's valid totally so share it so share it share it y'all share it y'all i love the name so Thank great mm-hmm. great pod Great Truly. Pod. Yeah, it's a great pod great you pod. got. Great pod you got here. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks thanks for uh, making space for the stories. It's important. It's literally my pleasure. It's my favorite thing to do. So I love it. You're so yeah. good at it. Thank you for Th- doing this. Oh, my gosh, of and course. And sharing. It's not easy. My pleasure. My truly, I it's an honor, and I'm grateful for any avenue where I can talk into a microphone, but uh, also share my story. Fun. It's so fun. So empowering. If you guys haven't done it. 
Do it. Do it. Pick up a mic. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks, John. Rachel, out. Oh. oh. <laughs> mic. Can you just throw the mic? Yeah.